1: from BleacherReport.com, Chad Dundas, and joining me, as always, from MMA, Junkie, and USA, today, it is your friend and mine, the still gainfully employed, Ben Folks. Well, gainfully employed, as far as we know, I haven't checked my email today. For so, the moment. Yeah. Unlike me, Ben, I got laid off today. So, what you're Approximately me, three hours ago.
2: Here we are. Uh, About a week out from Christmas. (laughs)
1: Right right before the holidays. That's (laughs) correct, sir.
2: And that's when uh, Bleacher Report decided, you know what? Time to make some staffing changes.
1: You know, I actually have a bad uh, history of getting laid off right before Christmas. Because I also got laid off by ESPN 2012, maybe? Uh, Right around the exact same time. A conference call that included both myself and the big homie Chuck Mendenhall were both sort of... uh, I guess we weren't laid off, but our salary was reduced to the point where we both kind of had to make some decisions at that point.
2: ESPN took the bold step of being like, we're going to allow you to continue to write but not pay you?
1: Pretty close. Pretty close.
2: So what what happened here with the Bleacher Report? What's the situation?
1: Well, I can't say that I'm totally surprised. Uh, I will admit that I was hoping to squeeze another year or two out of the Bleacher Report gig before the axe finally dropped, but it dropped this week. Uh, you know... They've, they've, they've changed their publication uh, strategy a lot. They're not publishing a ton of MMA content anymore. They're doing really targeted. Uh,
2: they pivot to video?
1: I haven't quite pivoted to video yet, but they've pivoted to like really targeted uh, feature story stuff that, that usually come out in advance of big fights. And they have, they have a lot of dudes over there writing MMA stuff for Bleacher Report. So for the last year or so, it was kind of the case of of uh, looking at the workload and looking around at all the people and being like, you know what? This doesn't strike me as the kind of thing that can go on forever. <laughs> yes. And so I was, yeah, that proved right today. And then about uh, what uh, six months ago, maybe a year ago, the, my guy, Brian Oswald, who had been my boss for a really long time at Bleacher Report, was also... Uh, laid off so at that point i think we all had to take a sobering look at one another and and uh realize that that the ship was turning and it going a different direction it seems like the bleach report that particular ship has made a
2: lot of turns just in the the you know past few years decade or so that i've been aware of it
1: well industry-wide you and i were talking about this before we started recording that like the one constant of working online in the media is that it seems like your employer is constantly changing its mind about what it wants to do. Yes. And so like that, you know, as a general directional thing has happened to bleacher report a few times. Um, And now with this new contract that they have with one FC, I don't know what will happen. Maybe it will swing further in that direction. Maybe they will go back to more sort of like daily stuff, but for the time being uh, for the last year or so, it had just been the the case where there was not a lot of work to go around to a bunch of uh, MMA writers who were all working there. So, I was not surprised, but now I got to dust myself off and find something else to do.
2: What are you going to do?
1: Well, focus more on the co-main event podcast. Yes, for starters. Got to think of a new way to introduce myself at the beginning of the show. Yeah. So, how uh, about
2: future podcast millionaire? Just to give a little nudge to everybody. Keep it positive. (laughs) Yes. Yeah.
1: Nice. Yeah. Uh,
2: What does this mean for the Dundas family Christmas? Because I understand you were increasingly stressed out about how you were how your Christmas gathering of gifts was going already
1: well the christmas budget i don't think will be affected okay so we're gonna do okay in that in that regard do i still need to get out and do some legwork and pick up some gifts yes full disclosure yeah i gotta go get some stuff this week gotta get some stuff done but uh
2: but now you have some time on your <laughs> hands. Right.
1: yeah no wide open this week to go uh scoop up some gifts, so.
2: What I'm hearing is that if there's anybody out there who is thinking, you know, maybe they're on the fence, should I become a patron of the Co-Main Event podcast, and I chip in a little bit the way I do for public radio, say, uh, and they were not sure, really, maybe these guys are just going to blow all my money on uh, candy and comic books.
1: Uh-huh, yes, tell me more.
2: Uh, Maybe now was the time where they need to take a good hard look at all the, the many hours and hours of... Just MMA bullshitting, MMA bullshitting enjoyment they have got out of this podcast and think, maybe the big homie Chad Dunn could, could use a little pick-me-up right about now.
1: I mean, look, if it ever got to the point where the co-main event podcast patron was, was paying both of our salaries, like, I don't think either of us would argue with that.
2: No, no, we would
1: not. Put our feet up and uh, go on like a 24-7 live stream kind of That's thing. That's right.
2: We would never stop this podcast.
1: So there you go. Think about that, folks. Uh I guess that's as good a lead as any, Ben, into saying that the uh the Patreon rolls on, the power hour rolls on last week. Uh we've been sending out tips for the well-rounded fight fan. We got the stickers and koozies. You and I are currently brainstorming about the best way to send all of that stuff out.
2: Two huge giant boxes of koozies sitting in my basement right now. Uh also we're sitting at 854 patrons. That's over there at patreon.com slash co-main event, where you can get access to the power hour every week, plus lots of other fun extra goodies. Chad, we're, that means we're still slightly under 50 shy of the 900 we need for the Affliction Day of Reckoning drinking challenge. And also, it you know means what that means? That we're
1: about to get some Channing Tatum inspirational quotes pitched our way, right? That's right.
2: <clears throat> You ready?
1: I'm ready. I've been ready.
2: I don't know if I'm very complicated at all. I wish I was. I wish I was one of those deep, intricate people. But I just love having fun, really.
1: Nice. Okay. Channing Tatum.
2: You know what I hear in that quote? I hear a man who knows himself. (laughs) And I appreciate that.
1: We went ahead and set a date for the Co-main event podcast book club as everybody knows by now we're going to read No Country for Old Men. That's going to go down Friday, January 11th. So not as much time maybe as you thought at the beginning when we announced this. But it's a super quick read. It's a it's a quick read. You should have no problem getting through it. As we've already admitted, if you if you're if it's if you're feeling like having a couple few soda pops and watching the movie version instead, this is one of those times where that probably will work. However, you're going to miss out on some of the uh, intricacies of the of uh, Cormac McCarthy's prose. Subtleties and whatnot. So we still do recommend reading the book, despite the fact that the Coen Brothers movie adaptation is super good.
2: Yeah. But now, you know, you got some time maybe over the Christmas break. You're cozied up next to the fireplace. Wouldn't it be nice to hold a book in your hands and read that mamma jamma? Why not make it no country for old men?
1: We got music from our guy, Dion Rodriguez, this me, this week, a music producer from Deltona, Florida. If you like what you hear from him on the podcast, you can check out more over at soundcloud.com slash dbeat7. And again, that's the word beats with a Z, beats. Three rounds as usual this week in the Co-Main Event podcast. In round number one, Lyoto Machida and Frank Meir are out here like living, breathing signposts of different ways careers can go in the Bellator Senior Circuit. And in round number two, Cyborg versus Nunez is like a fight so perfect, I almost don't want to take it out of the package. Just leave it in the wrapper and store it in a climate-controlled room where nobody can see it or enjoy it, like some kind of weird, obsessive collector, just so I can go to parties and brag about how I own it in mint condition. And in round number three, furthermore... I wish John Jones and Lusty Gusty would do that thing that old friends do in the movies when they haven't seen each other in a long time where they act like they're mad at each other and they get right in each other's faces like they're going to fight and then suddenly one of them cracks a grin and says you old son of a bitch and then they hug. All that plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff but first, like we always do about this time let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. The first piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Justin Manning who writes... Remember in Mike Tyson's punch out. Okay. You, all you, right. You, <laughs> I'm on board. Answer to the first question. Yes, yeah, we do. have never, we do remember it. that when you had to fight Don Flamenco twice, you know, before you knew the special knockout moves and cheat codes and you just had to punch people in the face until they fell down. That's what Kevin Lee, Al Iaquinta match. The L, the Kevin Lee, Al Iaquinta matches reminded me of Kevin is Don Flamenco version two, raging Al is little Mac and coach, Doc Lewis is played by Matt Sarah, who replaces Knock him down, Mac, with Fucking kill him, Al, in between rounds. (laughs) I don't know about you, but I saw that fight clearly going to Al when he took rounds one, four, and five. By the end of the fight, Al had rearranged Lee's face like a Mr. Potato Head and nearly knocked him out. I wouldn't have even objected to a 10 8 score for round five. That might be crazy talk, uh, but can Al and Sarah Longo train their asses off just like little Mac riding his bike on the boardwalk and win the lightweight title? He really has given Nurmi his best UFC fight on what was crazy-ass short notice. I'd rather see Al Habib 2 than Conor Khabib again discuss. It's
2: weird. Am I the only one who, as soon as you mention the training montage or the little training scene from Mike Tyson's Punch-Out, I can hear the music?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Riding that bike.
1: Terrific game, Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. One of the real standout classics of the original Nintendo era.
2: And see, I kind of forgot about how they would do the thing where you'd have to fight some people twice. Yeah. And I don't know if Don Flamenco is exactly who I would think is Kevin Lee's counterpart, but I, I appreciate what Justin Manning is going for here. Um, I was kind of amazed at how when you're watching Ally Quinta and you're trying to think about what it is that he really does well. Because he doesn't seem like the greatest athlete. He's definitely not like a powerhouse of a dude for that division. Like he's not a huge, powerful, like strong guy who's just bulldozing people. He's not super fast. He's accurate. And I think he has a pretty good fight IQ. But especially watching him in the fourth and the fifth round kind of taking over that fight and shutting down takedowns when he needed to. And you're just going – I don't know exactly how you're doing it. You're a solid overall fighter, and you might secretly be really, really good.
1: Yeah, yeah. He's that's a good question. It would be interesting to ask someone, you know, a professional MMA analyst who watches the fights uh, from a technical standpoint more in depth than you or I do about exactly what Ally Acquinta does well and what he does out there to get these victories. Clearly, he is capable of keeping the fight in the realm where he can win. I think we saw that against... Uh, Kevin Lee this weekend and frankly when Kevin Lee got him down there were some nervous moments there uh for I for Al and, and and his family uh he, he clearly like punches pretty hard like yeah uh he's a good enough athlete to deserve to be out there he, he doesn't knock your socks off like the new generation of MMA fighters so often does but like he's clearly super durable like he kind of knows what he's good at and he sticks to it uh and and you know he's got the uh the cardio and the 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 heart to go back and forth with a guy like Kevin Lee for five rounds so like clearly there are some uh real positives there for for Alayquinta stuff that you know makes him a terrific lightweight but i think you're right to to ask that question especially now that we have to sit back and wonder to our to ourselves exactly how good this guy is cuz he did like come in on short notice and and you know not necessarily put up a competitive fight with Khabib Nurmagomedov but like Put on a pretty good showing, considering he wasn't supposed to fight that guy.
2: Right. I mean, he was preparing to fight that night. But sure.
1: Yeah. Uh, do you think
2: that if he fights Nurmagomedov again and has a whole, you know, six or eight weeks or whatever to train specifically for Nurmagomedov, do you think that that fight would end up looking significantly different?
1: Not necessarily. I don't know. And maybe yeah. that's just because I'm still setting the bar too low for Al Iaquinta. But I also think like for Khabib Nurmagomedov would probably benefit from a full training camp training for Al also. Uh, and a guy like Nurmagomedov might come into a second meeting with something to prove after, you know, he kind of got panned in terms of reviews for his performance against and Al the first time around. But it would be interesting. It would be a fight that I would watch. Would you rather watch that fight or would you rather watch uh, – McGregor, if you had to choose between two rematches.
2: I honestly thought that Rage Al kind of sold me on the idea of him versus Conor McGregor. That if Conor McGregor wants another shot at uh, Nurmagomedov, he should have to beat Al Iaquinta first. And meanwhile, what we need is that Nurmi-Tony Ferguson fight. Give me that fight.
1: Yeah. I Iaquinta versus McGregor would be a fun fight all the way around. Yes, it would. And you'd like to think that that's a fight on paper that McGregor comes in as just a way better athlete and, and ends up winning. But, like, the intangibles that that Ally Quinta brings to the table, like, make it super interesting as far as I'm concerned.
2: I would watch that fight. And then whoever wins that, you can then justify giving them a, a title shot after that.
1: Next question this week comes to us from Frankie Guido, who writes, A stool, a stool, my kingdom for a stool. Has there ever been a more egregiously irresponsible oversight by a corner than Dan Hooker's team for getting to bring the poor purple need bastard the stool after the second round, only to be followed up by them not throwing in the towel as he's getting every last bit of his entire shit broke in the third. Please make sense of this for me, kind sirs.
2: Okay. Uh, uh,
1: things didn't go well for Dan Hooker kind of all the way around. Like, the, uh, if you're Dan Hooker, I doubt you're waking up Monday morning and being like, damn it, why didn't they bring the stool? in the man had, had
2: a stool. Well, and if you're looking for... Uh, a more egregious and irresponsible oversight by a coroner. I would remind you of the time that Mike Tyson went in to fight Buster Douglas in Japan, and his corner did not bring an end swell because they just, I think, assumed that here we go for another 45 seconds of work and we won't need to worry about any kind of swelling on Mike Tyson. And so instead, late in that fight, you can see them trying to bring swelling down on his face by using a latex glove that they had filled up with ice water. Uh, That one will... That one's tough to beat, honestly. So I don't. You're right. I don't know if the the stool was really the make or break thing, so much as nobody doing anything to save Dan Hooker from himself late in that fight. Because on one hand, absolutely amazing what Dan Hooker was able to endure in that fight, and because there were several times where, you know, you've seen enough fights, you know what it looks like when somebody is about to get finished by a body shot, and he took some of those body shots where it was like. His body wanted to do the thing. Yeah. It wanted to do the shutdown thing. Like right? you see somebody get hit and just kind of like crumple inward on themselves. And that's usually the where they kind of – fade back and fall into the fence and then just like hold themselves and cover up and wait for it to be over. His body was urging him to do that and he just willed himself through it several times. Yeah,
1: well, especially when he got spinning back kicked right in the
2: guts. Well, and he was taking like headshots too where it was like you could see him, his body start to kind of like sag down to the floor like he was about to be finished and then he would just snap back to it. And, and I think he, in some ways he was helped out a little bit by Edson Barboza's questionable fight IQ. Edson Barboza let him stay around in that fight longer than he probably needed to. But the I, I kind of am reminded of why MMA can be wonderful and terrible at the same time. Because there is something amazing and inspiring about watching a guy be able to push himself to that extreme and push himself through that kind of overwhelming physical punishment. And as you're watching it, you're going, holy shit, I can't believe I'm seeing this. But then you're also going, we don't really need to see this anymore at this point. Like He wasn't really in the fight anymore. He wasn't really capable of mounting much offense. He was just barely holding it together. And it was impressive the extent to which he was holding it together. But you're also watching him going, this guy is going to want to have a career after this. What are we doing? And what might the ultimate price be? Uh, compared to what the possible realistic benefits are to letting him continue in this fight?
1: Yeah, and then you got Edson Barboza, who continues to be fun to watch, very explosive. Obviously, uh, throws all kinds of spin and shit, including that uh, out of nowhere counter spinning elbow that he threw, uh, I think, in the first round, and then threw uh, you know the, his kind of patented spinning back kick that looked like it was going to break Dan Hooker's body clean in half. Uh and he continues to beat most of the people that he fights. This obviously would he breaks a two fight losing streak for him with this win over Dan Hooker, but you know, he lost to Habib Nurmagomedov and Kevin Lee going back. His losses are to people like Tony Ferguson, Michael Johnson, Don Cerrone, uh, and then Jamie Varner way back at UFC 146. But like Edson Barbosa is an interesting dude, man. Like he's kind of like a walking highlight reel. He's been in the UFC forever. He wins almost all of his fights, and then just like seems to to sort of fall short against the really you know top level guys that he fights. And I think that alone makes him kind of like a fascinating character. In that he seems like the kind of dude that the UFC will just keep around because he's gonna spin kick somebody in the head at some point,
2: right? But he also seems like a kind of guy where physically, I don't question that he has a whole lot of ability right. and a whole lot of tools he can bring. Uh, but he he does just do things in fights that hurt his own chances consistently. And I at this point, it's hard for me to see how he's going to show up one night and not be that guy anymore.
1: Yeah. No, I think we know who he is, right? We have the book on Edson Barboza, and it's just a really talented and fun-to-watch guy who's probably never going to be the champion. Yeah. Next question this week comes to us from Karen O'Reilly, who writes, Is anyone else a bit gutted every time an Invicta event happens? It used to be the biggest stage possible for female fighters. There was an absolute embarrassment of talent. It was appointment viewing for years since the UFC purchase. The marrow is gone. They keep developing stars that they will never get to keep. So, what's the long-term goal for a Vic- Invicta? I feel for Shannon <coughs> Nap because I don't see uh, this being her end game. But alternatively, I could use. I could also see a poster in her office that says, uh, "The journey is the reward." Uh, oh,
2: that's a good. Uh- Good Character detail there by Karen O'Reilly. Right,
1: I think this is a good point about what has sort of become of Invicta, uh, which had its uh, like a, a pretty glorious moment in the sun as as the premier organization for you know all women's MMA. But as we've talked about on the show before, Ben, uh, Invicta got into one of these kind of like double edged sword relationships with the UFC where, yeah, man, you're gonna be on fight pass, like the UFC is gonna do some advertising for you, you probably. Uh, reach a much larger cross-section of MMA fans than you ordinarily would, or that you would without the UFC's help, and yet, like, the point here about the UFC kind of swooping in and taking Invicta's top stars whenever that company grooms someone to the point where they seem like they could be marketable and star-worthy, which, uh, you know, admittedly does make it for a tough road for, like, an MMA promoter, where it's like, what are you doing? You're building up Potential stars for someone else to come take them away from you and use in their organization.
2: Is Invicta the restaurant owner in Goodfellas?
1: Maybe. Where where
2: you've made a deal with the local mob boss and you felt like you needed to. You felt like it was the best option for you. And then you realize that you're kind of in a locked in a a relationship that is eventually going to destroy you.
1: Yes. I mean, yeah, that makes sense. That's an apt comparison.
2: I mean, I think it shows the resilience of Invicta that it's been able to keep churning out shows and good fights and good fighters for this long because it does have that problem where the UFC just can mine your roster for whatever it needs. And the UFC keeps adding women's divisions. Like that used to be the thing that Shannon Knapp would say was like, well, hey, you know, the UFC has women's bantamweight and then the UFC added women's strawweight, but they got that's still it's two divisions. You've got like five divisions or whatever, Uh and then the UFC has kind of sorted, added a, a women's featherweight division, and now adding women's flyweight. And so slowly they're just kind of taken over. And yet you're at a point where you can't really stand up and say that's it. This is an unfair situation, and we're done with it.
1: Right. And then where do you go if you're Invicta and you like got out of that relationship? I guess you could go be on Access TV or something like that, but.
2: Well, then, it also makes you wonder what the uh, appeal of Fight Pass is going to be for a lot of these promoters going forward. Like, yeah. because if and I know the UFC, they they will claim that they're not worried about it and that everybody loves being on Fight Pass and that they do great uh, viewership numbers on Fight Pass. And that may be true now, but I do I think it's reasonable to wonder when the UFC moves over to ESPN Plus, the library moves over to ESPN Plus. How many people are going to maintain a Fight Pass subscription and an ESPN Plus subscription? Are they going to decide to do one or the other? And then you just don't have that same audience anymore for some of these shows.
1: No, I agree. And it would seem like for a while that Fight Pass might just get completely folded into ESPN Plus. But at this point, it doesn't seem like that's the plan. It seems like Fight Pass is, is soldiering on. Uh,
2: it seems like its main thing is going to be showing other promotions and yeah. other sports and like kind of MMA adjacent stuff.
1: Uh, Last question this week comes to us from Craig Tasker, who writes, can we take a minute to talk about how awesome this December has been? Max Holloway put on a masterclass while Ortega showed he has one of the best best chins ever. Uh, Moretta versus Manoa, Charles Oliveira extending his UFC all-time submission win record, JDS, Shogun, Benavidez, uh, Means all got knockout wins, Mark Hunt fought possibly his last UFC fight, a new women's champ was crowned, A Gracie tapped out, a wrestler in a tournament bout. Michael Chandler got his belt back. Dan Hooker tried to show he had an even better chin than Ortega, so Edson Barboza finished him with body shots. Iaquinta and Kevin Lee closed out the Fox era with a great five-round fight. The Dragon ended Bella, entered Bellator. Glory kickboxing had this person watches a lot of it yeah, of this combat is, this sports is still going. Uh, Glory kickboxing had had a one-night tournament. Uh, combate Americas had an M- or had a MMA one night tournament. I even watched a boxing match <laughs> all this and more yet. We still have John Jones making his return in a rematch of his toughest fight to date against Alexander Gustafson, a legit champ versus champ women's super fight, a Bellator champ going to Japan to fight a Ryzen champ and drum roll tension versus Mayweather. Okay. Aside from that last one, was this the best month in combat sports history? Okay, well let's slow our roll there toward the end. Although, December was a lot of fun. Yeah. December has been a lot of fun at a time when I feel like we need to kind of highlight the fun times in this sport.
2: Yeah, we do. And that is a pretty exhaustive list.
1: It's a, yes, it's, it's thorough. It's very thorough.
2: It is very thorough. Yeah. uh, I mean, I'm definitely excited to, to see how the end of this month shapes up when, you know, you got a couple, uh, Ryzen's always good for some crazy weird shit on New Year's Eve. That's going to be fun. Uh, This UFC looks like it's going to be one of the more like bang for your buck pay-per-views that we've seen in a long time. Plus, you're right that, you know, the Holloway-Ortega fight was great and a lot of great like undercard stuff. So, yeah, I mean, it's hard for me to just think back and be like, I don't know if I have the kind of encyclopedic brain for that stuff that can be like July 2011. Like, I can't name you a month that was better than this. I appreciate Craig Tasker, though, reminding us that uh, we've been treated to some good stuff here recently.
1: Yeah, and like the best events may be yet to come, which is kind of crazy to think about. Uh, We don't want to start picking out months just because of how mad people got about Aldo versus Mendez 2, that we did not mention that as the greatest men's featherweight fight of all time in our discussion about Max Holloway versus Brian Ortega.
2: You're saying that on this week's Power Hour, we might end up doing a corrections about the best months?
1: It's a good chance if we start picking out months at random anyway that's going to do it for listener mail this week if you have a question a comment a concern that you want to air to the podcast in future weeks you know how to do it you go to the website comainevent.com and click the link in the top right hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast that'll get you in touch with us while you're there you can sign up for the breakfast of champions newsletter that comes out every friday morning to catch you up on the news and notes that we miss on all the days that we're not recording the podcast stuff always happens news always breaks the newsletter itself is short it's in informative we'd love to tell you it's funny and if you don't like it it's really easy to unsubscribe as for right now though we're gonna go ahead and get started with round number one well ben back-to-back events over there in hawaii at the Neil S. Blaisdell Arena for Bellator over the weekend, as we speculated on the CME Patreon Power Hour. We didn't know if Scott Coker just wanted to extend his, his Hawaiian vacation by another night or if he and uh, the Blaisdell Arena got some kind of package deal going where they got like two nights for the price of one. It's two for one, yeah. But they rolled out, I believe the technical term is an absolute shitload of fights. Yep. Over the weekend. In Hawaii on Friday night, we saw former UFC heavyweight champion Frank Mir catch the L uh in his second Bellator fight. Two losses in a row in that organization for him now. This one to Javi uh I- 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 Ayala. 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 Ayala nailed it. And then the night after that, Leoto Machida comes over and makes his Bellator debut in what turned out to be a 186.5 pound fight after Rafael Carvalho missed weight. The former middleweight champion, Lyoto Machida uh, puts forth a late effort there to catch a split decision victory. So at this point we have two guys who are former UFC champions trying to make their way over in Bellator. And yet they seem to be headed in opposite directions. I guess let's talk about Frank Mir first. It's not only because he has been in Bellator longer than Leoto Machida, but because he's had a little bit of a a rockier road as of yet. Only two wins for Frank Mir dating back to 2012 to go along with eight losses and now four in a row from 2015 to December 2018. Uh, What to make, Ben, of the 39-year-old Frank Mir who has had one of the more colorful and lengthy heavyweight MMA careers and yet at this point maybe uh maybe staring at the end times
2: yeah well he has spanned many different eras of both MMA itself and the heavyweight division right did you read about the specifics of the injury he suffered that caused him to tap out from strikes I did not um apparently according to I don't know if it's his podcast or podcast that he's on often uh but he said it was an alveolar ridge
1: fracture. Okay, that sounds like some shit Frank Mir would say.
2: Basically, like, you can see him in the fight. Like, there's at one point when he's all cut up and he seems to be trying to get the attention of referee Mike Beltran. I believe Mike Beltran was the referee there, where at first, like, it seems like he's trying to communicate something about, like, being all cut up and blood being in his eyes, and I don't know if he wanted Mike Beltran to stop and take a look at it or or what it was, but it seemed like a couple minutes before... He tapped out he his his head maybe wasn't in it. Yeah. And Javi Ayala just grinded away on him, just pushing him up against the fence, working his body, uh really staying like committed to a certain game plan that seemed like it absolutely sucked for Frank Mir. Yeah. And then Frank Mir tried to mount a little bit of a comeback and he, you know, he could get a few he could build himself up, get a few punches in, and then when turned out Javi Ayala was still standing there afterwards, it seemed like he kind of went back into the—I don't know if a defensive shell is the right word because there wasn't a whole lot of defense to it. But, like, he was just feeling like maybe he didn't want to be there in that particular moment. And you can see him, like, his mouthpiece is out. And right before he taps out, he's, like, reaching up into his mouth. And he said afterwards that he thought that his, his teeth had just been knocked loose and that his teeth were in the process of coming out. Like, his mouthpiece was out. And so he thought he was going to reach up and just pull the teeth the rest of the way out and continue, which I don't even want to think about. But then kind of realizing that it was a fracture basically on the roof of his mouth, which sounds fucking awful.
1: Yes, it does. And
2: see, if that's where – if I'm Frank Mir at that point and I'm, I've gone from being a you know former UFC heavyweight champion, muscle and fitness cover guy – In my prime. Now I'm 39 years old. I'm in Bellator. I'm losing even to the just kind of mid-level Bellator heavyweight guys. And not only am I losing, it just sucks. Like the physical punishment sucks. The recovery is going to suck. How do you walk away from that and go, no, this is still worth it. I should continue doing this. How do you not think like I've had enough of this bullshit?
1: Yeah, and Frank Mir is such like an interesting dude so such a different guy uh and you know you're dealing with a sport with a different kind of person in it when not only does the guy who lost think like well i'll just yank these teeth out and we'll keep going but then the guy who wins they asked him after like how does how did it make you feel to make frank Mir tap out from strikes and he was like one of the best feelings ever so it's just like okay we're just dealing with different cats all the way around here, on Frank both Muir's sides daughter, of the
2: equation. His daughter was in the corner for this one.
1: Yeah, his daughter's like a huge badass. She's like as I don't know if that was a huge shock because she's Frank Mir's kid, but like she's super good at jujitsu and like, as you might imagine, probably spent many of her formative years in a gym type setting. Yeah, and so uh, is also kind of like I think making her way as like a jujitsu phenom and maybe an amateur MMA fighter. Although don't don't quote me on that. I'm not sure if that's if that's right. Uh, so Frank Mir is one of these dudes that like basically just loves competition because Frank Mir is a guy who could clearly go do something else. He's, he doesn't, uh, embarrass himself on commentary when he shows up at golden boy MMA and does color commentary. Frank Mir could fucking do jujitsu seminars probably all over the world and does. Uh, and is just the kind of guy that like people would pay to go learn jujitsu from. And yet he's one of these dudes that like, he just can't walk away. Like Frank Mir thinks about fighting with swords. (laughs) Like, when Frank Mir isn't doing anything, he's just at home with Jenny, sitting on the couch, he's thinking about fighting with swords. Like, that's just how his mind works. One time, do you remember when he said uh, that in an offhand way during an interview, he's like, I'm one of the most dangerous people in the world. I I pack a gun everywhere I go. Yes. And we were all like, wait, what? Back up. What was that thing about the gun?
2: (laughs) I think he said he had a gun and a knife on him at all times. Yeah,
1: so Frank Mir is just, uh, let's say, interested in combat.
2: Don't you hope though that maybe something like this will be the one where he goes, "All right, it's been a hell of a ride and a super long ride." Even though you know somehow all the years he spent in MMA, you know, made his pro debut in two thousand and one, and granted lost some time there to being hit by a damn ban. So yeah. that'll that'll knock some some of the, the life off your career. But seventeen years as a pro, his record is eighteen and thirteen. It's like, it doesn't seem like he's actually had as many fights as you would expect over that period of time. Yeah. But don't you think after something like this, aren't you hoping Frank Mir says, all right, time for me to transition into another aspect of this time sport. want to
1: start my career as a sword fighter. <laughs> right? Fighting with swords. I'm not, who's going to want to fight Frank Mir with a sword? There's probably some badass sword fighters out there, dude. The Frank Mir of sword fighting is out there somewhere and maybe his name is Josh Barnett.
2: Are you is this what you're going to do now that you you don't have the bleach report job you're starting a I'm looking for
1: work. Maybe <laughs> you're starting I go a fight
2: promotion. I go
1: whole hog as a on putting together this Josh Barnett versus Frank Mir sword fight.
2: Okay. Uh first thing you're going to need here is a name for this promotion. Uh fucking swords, I think is okay. a
1: Done. <laughs> All right. Mark it down. I'm getting the I'm getting the trademark as we speak. Okay. Hold on. Let me just Google here and see what kind of arena I can get into over in Dubai. See what the availability. I feel like you got some options. Yeah. yeah. All right. Let's talk Leoto Machida a little bit. Split decision win, as I said, over Rafael Carvalho and his Bellator debut. Uh, we talked about Leoto Machida on the power hour, a deep dive into his career, which frankly made Leoto Machida's career seem more interesting than I thought it was going to be when we made up that plan. Uh, but where where is he going now, man? Like, what's a, what? What do we expect from Lyoto Machida in Bellator? He beats the former champion, albeit by split decision. Uh, are we ready to see Lyoto Machida just jump into the to the Rory McDonald slash Gegard Musasi pool, or do we want him to have more of a uh, what's Chael Sonnen doing in January kind of Bellator career?
2: I would like him to go that route, just especially because this particular fight it was a real Machida esque decision from Machida himself. Yeah. yeah uh there were moments in it where he looked like he might be a little too hittable for some of the more dangerous guys in that division i mean granted you still if you you go out there and you get a win and in a close fight could have gone either way i guess but it, if you have that kind of a fight with with Rafael Carvalho you got to be feeling like all right clearly i can hang with some of these guys and yet i don't know i still think that If I'm Bellator, I'm thinking right now about what kind of fun matchups can we come up with for Lyoto Machida.
1: Yeah, big ticket matchups, I would think. Like We don't want to see Lyoto Machida slog his way through the Bellator middleweight division. If he's staying there, then it should either be the Rory McDonald's, Gegard Musasi's of the world, or, you know, like you said, kind of fun out-of-the-box matchups that are going to draw eyeballs and maybe make everybody some money, which is probably what he's interested in anyway. You think so? Well, no, we did. We actually talked about this, what, last Friday that Leoto Machida, not necessarily in the same way that Frank Mir is, but that Machida is a martial artist to his core and is probably like, who is around that may serve up the stiffest test for my skills? Yes. Right? That's probably how Leoto Machida is thinking.
2: Uh, do you think that there's going to be a ton of interest in watching a Bellator middleweight division that where Leoto Machida is one of the main attractions? Or do you, or do you think that. Just from a promotional standpoint, the smartest thing you can do is like fun fights, yeah. money fights, get them to be a money weight.
1: I'm thinking it sounds way better in your mind when you're like, oh, cool, let me check out this Leota Machida Bellator fight than sometimes it turns out in practice. As has always been the case with the dragon, the karate kid.
2: I mean, if we get Leota Machida and Fedor in the same organization at the same time and we don't eventually make this happen What are we doing?
1: I mean, that would be fun, right? What are we doing? All right, Ben, let's do Are You Fucking Kidding Me? And then we will move on into round number two. Ben, have you seen Charles Oliveira in his glasses? I don't know if I have. You got to check it out because he's got some stylish glasses. And look, I'm going to go ahead and admit that as a guy who wears glasses myself and may or may not had just had to go get reading glasses. uh, Oh, wow. I'm biased toward a, a, a fighter who when you see him out of the cage and he's wearing his glasses, you think, oh. This guy's probably a medical student, or maybe he's studying geology at the local university, Mm -hmm. and then he goes out there and he just taps motherfuckers out left and right. Are you kidding me? Are you fucking kidding me? Charles Oliveira, I like a dude who's a nerd outside the cage, and then you get him in there, and he's just a savage.
2: So basically, to boil this one down, your are you fucking kidding me is Charles Oliveira has cool glasses.
1: Yeah, looks good in his glasses. Okay. All right. Bold choice.
2: Uh, Chad, this week, my are you fucking kidding me? We gotta
1: together, man. Have you heard that? Uh, You're wearing glasses
0: right now. I am.
2: Jimmy Smith is has or is or has completed his contract and going to be a free agent here heading into 2019. And it looks like the USC might be thinking about heading in a different direction, bringing on Michael Bisping uh, as a color commentator. And Michael Bisping can can absolutely do a good job in that role. But who knows what's going to happen with your boy Jimmy Smith, who I always felt like did an excellent job in his role as color commentator.
1: It would be like so UFC if they don't get Jimmy Smith, right? If the dudes who own the UFC are like, I don't know about this Jimmy Smith guy, maybe we could do better. Because Jimmy Smith rules. He does rule. And so
2: that's why my Are You Fucking Kidding Me goes out not only to the fact that it seems at least possible that Jimmy Smith might end up without a commentary commentating gig in one of the major MMA organizations, but that here we are over in Bellator, Mike Goldberg still has a commentating gig. Yeah. Are you fucking kidding me? We're gonna end up with with no Jimmy Smith and still a Mike Goldberg?
0: You fucking kidding me? You fucking kidding How me. How did we let
1: that happen? That's gonna do go for round number one. We'll be right back with round number two.
2: Well, year of the super fight rolls on. I know you like that. Chris Cyborg, Amanda Nunez. We got two of the best female fighters in the world. We're finally going to do the thing where we convince somebody else to roll on up to women's featherweight, take their chances against the monster that is Chris Cyborg. And then afterwards, we may end up wondering if that was even fair of us to do. But there's been a lot of pressure, it seems, on Amanda Nunez to come up and take this fight. The UFC has done its thing where it kind of, like, unpromotes her uh, at various times when it gets upset at her. Now she's going up there. She's making that fight happen. Seems like maybe the biggest fight you can make in women's MMA right now. Here it is. What's your hype level?
1: Pretty hype, to be honest with you. Yeah, It would be tempting to say that the year of the super fight is going to end here at the end of this year, but also then we got, uh, Henry Cejudo versus TJ Dillashaw right around the corner. But in terms of like a pure physical matchup, I feel like it doesn't really get any better than Chris Cyborg versus Amanda Nunez. And it's one of those fights where I feel like absolutely anything could happen. I have no idea what's going to happen. I don't feel like at least on paper, Amanda Nunez is tremendously outgunned or like unfairly, uh, out anything in this fight granted we haven't seen it yet we'll see how I feel the Monday morning after this thing is over but like it's has the potential to be the most competitive Chris Cyborg fight that we've seen for a little while you know I mean outside of maybe Holly Holm uh as someone that she's fought in the UFC uh but I'm I'm excited man to see Amanda Nunez go up there and fight Chris Cyborg I think it's the kind of thing where she doesn't you know as long as she doesn't suffer some kind of tremendous physical damage I don't think uh any sort of damage to her reputation will be that uh terrible if she loses this fight to Chris Cyborg. But like if you told me on Monday that Amanda Nunez won this, I would I would uh want to see it, but I wouldn't be totally shocked.
2: Yeah. I would say that of the bantam weights going up to challenge Chris Cyborg, it does seem like uh she's gonna be the most competitive. Also though style wise it seems like and I hate to say this, but that there's no way this is gonna be a boring fight.
1: Oh, boy. Wow. I know.
2: know. You jinxed it. I know I done did it. But if you just think about the way each of them tend to approach their fights, there's just a lot of straight ahead punching you in the face. Mm -hmm. And it seems like that's probably what they're both going to bring to the table. Now, that said, I will say I've been impressed with Amanda Nunez's growth as a fighter. Mm -hmm. Like, I think Cyborg... We've known who she is and what she does for a while now, and she just does that thing super, super well. Yeah. But especially in her last couple fights, I think Amanda Nunez has shown that she is still adding some tools to the toolbox.
1: Yeah, yeah. and Amanda Nunez will come take it from you. That's what she does in a fight. She's going to come lay it on you, you know, and 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 kind of dare you to to take it and keep up with her and and be better than her kind of and that's one of the things that's so interesting in having her in a chris cyborg fight because we so very rarely get to see another athlete who's gonna bring it to chris cyborg who we think is gonna bring it anyway uh you know chris cyborg's entire career is the tale of not being able to find a competitive fight and of kind of being crosswise with her uh promoters at least in the ufc and uh I'm really excited for this matchup against a person who I think will be very game, who will be uh, uh, very technical and might physically be up to the challenge of kind of standing up to to what Chris Cyborg does. So I think you're going to have Amanda Nunez going out there trying to do what she does, and that is going to bring a fight to Chris Cyborg that would seem to be the kind of fight that Chris Cyborg has been waiting for.
2: Well, and if you look at the odds, they're closer than you usually see for a Chris Cyborg fight. I think she's about a two and a half to one favorite on this, which – by Chris Cyborg standards, it's practically a pick'em. Normally she's out here rolling around like five or seven to one or something. Yeah.
1: Do you think that this is the most competitive fight on paper that we have seen her in? Like how do you think uh Amanda Nunez and Holly Holm compare, I guess? I mean, with Holm, uh Holm is a is a big athlete and is probably a uh a natural 145-pound fighter. And yet, you know, the style that Holly Holm fights in Uh, I think made it hard for her to beat Chris Cyborg, whereas I think Amanda Nunez's style maybe gives her a little bit more of a possibility. Right.
2: I mean, the thing with Chris Cyborg is that she can be so aggressive and overpowering that a lot of times you see people have to change their strategy almost immediately against her because there's a lot of things that maybe you think you're going to do or you think is going to work. And then so many times I've seen her in fights with somebody where she hits them the first time you can see the look on their face like... Well, okay. Yeah. If that was worse than I thought it was going to be. Right. I I do wonder about how that's going to play out with Amanda Nunes. Do you do you go up there, do you take a couple right hands from Chris Cyborg and suddenly remember why there are weight classes? Like that's a real possibility.
1: Yeah. Well, and that ability is what makes Cyborg such a, a fascinating athlete, right? That's that's one of the uh one of the reasons why she's kind of like a unique figure in this sport is that she has that, you know, it's not like she's going out here uh and and crafting these like Mike Tyson style home run after home run. Uh but she does have that power in that when she hits somebody, like it does seem to like change their whole world. Like their whole world gets kind of twisted up at that moment. And that's what makes Chris Cyborg super interesting to watch. And if she can do that against Amanda Nunez, I will be impressed. Like if we see that happen in this fight, if Chris Cyborg uh, You know, lands some heavy strikes early on and Amanda Nunez immediately makes an oh shit face and is like, "We, I got to figure something out here in a hurry. I think that that will speak to the greatness of Chris Cyborg uh, and maybe in a way that I don't necessarily expect. Like I kind of – uh, maybe I'm wrong. I have been wrong before and will be again. But I like – I kind of think we, we might have a competitive fight on our hands between these two women.
2: Well, and maybe that leads into my next question, which is – if what we see here is Cyborg beats up Amanda Nunez, but Nunez does better than most people do against Cyborg. Maybe she loses by decision. Maybe it's an exciting fight. She takes a beating, gives some back. Yeah. Maybe can go out there and make Cyborg bleed her own blood. Does she then go back down to bantamweight with a greater head of steam than she had even after a loss? Like you said, there's no way where she ends up, you know, Her reputation takes a huge hit if you lose to Chris Cyborg. I mean, Maybe if you go out there and you lose in the first 30 seconds, that's not going to look great for you. It's hard to be the dominant champ if that happens. But if she goes out there and just gives us a good fight and a good challenge and makes Chris Cyborg worry about some things, even a loss, does she go back down and have people care more about her and her reign as as women's bantamweight champion than they did before?
1: I don't think anyone will argue if we come out of this thing with the greatest Chris Cyborg fight of all time. And yet I feel like this rarely happens in MMA. I feel like we rarely see someone uh, who is able to carry any kind of significant momentum – from one fight to the next, especially if it's a loss, like uh, you might be able to think of some examples here and there, but especially in the UFC where the, uh, the schedule is so crowded. And as you have said, the UFC seems to sort of want to unpromote Amanda Nunez. Uh, it's hard for me to imagine her having a real like career changing performance here. If it's a loss, if she wins, well, then you got to, uh, a real weird situation on your hands because yes, you she's going to be the 145 pound women's champion gonna and we'll have, champ, to, champ. we'll have to figure out exactly what the, what's going to happen and what the deal is uh, w- with that. But like, man, I don't know. Like, do you think that she, like, let's say she, it's a competitive five rounder and she loses uh, a unanimous decision, but like a competitive unanimous decision to Chris Cyborg. Do you think Amanda Nunes can carry that over into like her continuing bantam weight career? To me, it just seems like, Like, we already know she's super good, and, like, if she affords herself well in this fight, we will all nod to ourselves, say, yes, this is what we expected. But I don't necessarily see a performance that, like, she's suddenly going to be a big star when she goes back down to bantamweight.
2: Well, maybe not a big star, but maybe a bigger star. Though I do admit, a part of me almost wants to see her win just so she'll be a champ champ in a dominant position in the women's class and the UFC, which has seemed like it never really has wanted to embrace Amanda Nunez at all. will have to figure out how to adjust. Like I would like to see a situation where the UFC has to just admit that Amanda Nunez at all is awesome and give her her due.
1: Yeah. If you're rooting for that and if you are just rooting purely for chaos, it would be awesome to see Amanda Nunez win this. Cause then we're, then we are in a, an explicit WTF situation. <laughs> I know you love those. Well, that's going to do it for round number two. Sir Nigel Longstock is here. We're going to do a little master tweet theater. It's been a while since we've caught up with him, so that'll be exciting to do. That starts right now.
2: What's that time again? We welcome back to the show friend of the podcast and noted theatricalist, Sir Nigel Longstock. Sir Nigel, how are you?
0: Good day to you, sir. I am anxiously awaiting the arrival of my new shirt. Oh, yeah? Indeed, sir. The cowboy astronaut cigarettes t-shirt that all the smartest people in the world have purchased in the last few weeks.
2: Yeah, I hear those are in the mail. I started seeing them show up on uh, people, even on people's children on social media. The, the Great Danes out there with got
1: one on his kid. I don't think that we can reiterate enough that we do not condone putting a child in a Cowboy Astronaut Cigarettes t-shirt.
2: I feel like if we've communicated nothing else, we have successfully communicated that Cowboy Astronaut Cigarettes and their many wares are not for children.
0: Children can't handle Cowboy Astronaut Cigarettes.
2: Nope, can't do it.
0: Only grown-ups like us.
2: Well, I assume you have brought us some tweets in In service of a theme.
0: Indeed, sir, I have. The theme is Beautiful Minds okay minds or mimes minds tweets from mma persons whose minds are just gorgeous just specimens of intellectual activity see what he's doing here is is sarcasm
1: well it seems hard to screw up this theme
0: yeah it seems like a
1: broad theme the only way i can think
2: that he can screw it up is if he accidentally tweets something from like a robot (laughs) okay like an ai has tricked him then who knows
0: Indeed, sir. <clears throat> Let us begin. Yes. This episode of Master Tweet Theater is brought to you by Dogblade, the razor blade specifically designed for shaving the heads of dogs. Whether your dog participates in combat sports himself or simply lives a combat lifestyle, Dogblade will keep him looking sleek and fresh. Imagine the admiration other dogs will feel when they see him with a full muzzle of rich, luxuriant fur and a completely hairless, shining head. Dogblade shows other pet owners that your dog means business and that you, by extension, are probably also badass. Order now and get a free trial sample of Cat Blade, the razor for shaving words in your cat. You know, I'm troubled
2: sometimes when you... You come in here with sponsors that I'm pretty sure might have sponsored, like, an Elite XC show yeah. in 2006.
1: Yeah, that's uh, the thing that I found most troubling about that was uh, how realistic it seemed. Yeah. Dog play Uncomfortable.
2: <laughs>
0: mm, let us begin. Do you remember the theme, gentlemen? Is it Beautiful Minds? It is. It is, sir. You may right. qualify yourself someday. Mm.
1: <laughs> but tweet. will he throw in a mime? Tweet. A beautiful mime tweet. You need to let the mime thing go. Beautiful mimes. Gesture
0: emojis. I think it it could be done. A Twitter for mimes, if you will. Not like today's Twitter, which is only for cool people. (laughs) Tweet the first. Hey, Dominic, I hear you're hurt. To fight you would be a great challenge and honor. But I hope you heal and get better so all of can once again see your talent in the ring. Quotation marks, all of us, quotation marks quotation marks indeed the last part all of us is in quotation marks uh, why though it seems the tweeter in question has corrected his typo without actually going back and correcting the typo before he sends the tweet but that you must have done that within the tweet because you can't go back and edit a tweet
2: later like you must have realized that the, I have made a mistake I'll just correct it at the end and then hit hit send tweet His
0: That's... mind it is beautiful. <laughs>
2: Uh,
1: John Lineker? That's a good guess. That's who, uh... That's who he was supposed to Cruz fight. Cruz was supposed to fight John Lineker. Um, yeah, I'm gonna say John Lineker also.
0: It is John Lineker speaking for all of us, even if he's not speaking exactly right on the first try.
2: I just, I'm baffled by the thought process
1: of you know, well, He brings, like, an ah, fuck it vibe to his tweets. He's <laughs> like, oh, I made a mistake. Ah, fuck it. I'll just... I'll just explain that I fucked it up.
0: And yet I already have to give him some points for catching his own mistake. Yeah, proofreading before he presses send. But leaving it in there. To change it would be dishonest. (laughs) Okay. All Mm. right, I like it. Tweet the second. Are wolves native to Japan?
1: That's it? That's the whole 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 tweet? Yeah. Yes.
0: And there's a question mark at the end? Are wolves native to Japan? Question mark. And Japan is capitalized, if that gives you a hint.
2: Poet Philip Baroni.
1: Please? Mm. Are wolves native to Japan? Question mark. I have no idea. I'm going to go with uh, Danny Boy Downs.
0: Both fine guesses, both <laughs> avid speculators on the zoology of Japan, and both wrong. It is Scott Coker.
1: Oh, Scott I get it, Coker,
2: because of the the Caldwell Horaguchi fight.
0: Yeah, and Caldwell's I, okay. like the yes, I see.
1: Yeah. Okay, yeah, Chris
0: Horaguchi. No. Oh, thank God! <laughs> My God, I was frightened for a moment. That's Chris
1: Horideki. Oh, you
2: right. Oh, I Oops. was thinking, I was hoping that Sir Nigel actually thinks that there's a guy named Chris Horaguchi. i that's just like. Huh. So you the know, interview Tony Um
1: So wait a minute though He was already on vacation when he sent that tweet You were thinking he, he, he Scotty Cox was already one, one foot out the door
2: My tie in one hand Phone in the other one when he sent that tweet uh, What were the replies like? That's what I really want to know
0: You know, I'd, I'd make it my business to stay out of the replies
2: <laughs> Okay, that's actually probably a pretty good
0: policy for you It's tough down there Tweet the third I just want to take the time to shout out to my company at Snow Teeth Whiten for becoming the number one fastest growing brand in the world. Well, wait, and wait,
1: we're putting sponsor in the middle
0: of Master Tweet Theater now? No, this is a tweet. This is a oh, tweet. Okay. <laughs> a real thing. Snow Teeth
1: Whiten is a real thing. Oh, that is right. the
0: power of thespianism, sir. It was completely natural.
1: <laughs> There's no way I could thought that was a real thing. Mm-hmm. you got to start from the beginning. Yeah, T- so, I'm sorry. My that's my friend
0: now this is a tweet I am not the one expressing you Okay, ideas. right. <laughs> I got lost
1: there for a second. Lost the, uh, lost the thread somehow.
0: <laughs> I just want to take the time to shout out to my company at Snow Teeth Whiten for becoming the number one fastest growing brand in the world and always having my back. You guys are the best! Many exclamation points.
2: Okay. So, first of all, this company that I have never heard of is the <laughs> fastest growing brand in the world?
0: It's astonishing, isn't it, sir?
2: Snow teeth whitening. It's like the people at Forbes or wherever are looking at companies and they're going, "All right, let's see fastest growing companies." Uh, second place, you got Amazon, uh, right? <laughs> right behind snow teeth whitening. <laughs> then Apple is right the,
1: probably up there. Yeah,
2: the the third, the number one spot. Well, no surprise here. It's snow teeth whitening. And this company is owned by somebody in the mixed martial arts community by the sound of it? Or is this somebody shouting out a sponsor?
0: Perhaps someone who believes he owns Snow Teeth Whitening because he so has misunderstood he. their agreement. Oh, yes, it is man. Uh, he, see? See and, how you, you he, get him to give something away? Yeah, you, 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 you suckered him
1: there. Congratulations. You interrogate him a little Beautiful bit. Mind, what do you got, Chad? Well, I know that Connor McGregor at one time was sponsored by some kind of teeth whitening gizmo. Did you ever see that? He used no. to put videos on his Instagram of him with like this. Thing in his mouth that glowed and it was supposed to whiten his teeth. Is it called Snow Teeth Whiten? Don't know that. But I'm going to go ahead and go position answer Conor McGregor here. Oh, you just kind of blew my fucking mind. I mean, it doesn't sound like a Conor McGregor tweet. No, it does not. Uh, But that's the best I got for right now.
2: I'm going to say Rich Franklin.
1: Both fine guesses,
0: both apt to sponsor a tooth whitener, and both wrong. It is Chuck Liddell.
1: Okay. What? Well, there's the guy who's lucky to be sponsored by anything, let alone a tooth whitening company.
0: If Snow Teeth Whiten always has his back, where were they a few weeks ago (laughs) when he stepped into the ring? Could have just blinded Tito with the the glint from his smile.
2: I would like to think that the CEO of Snow Teeth Whiten was like, listen, Chuck, I think this is a bad idea.
1: First of all, all, we're the fastest growing brand in the world. (laughs) Second of all, we would love to sponsor the Iceman for his upcoming fight. At Golden Boy MMA. Uh,
2: did Snow Teeth Whiten get on the, the trunks? I saw Iceman.tv, Those the non-existent... trunks
1: were from a decade ago. There's no <laughs> Snow Teeth Whitening <laughs> brand
0: on there. That's something Chuck Liddell's children have told him when they really need to get him to Perkins. Like, we have to go to this meeting with your brand. <laughs> <clears throat> Tweet the fourth. Uh, the first two-thirds of this tweet is in all capital letters. Okay. But out of courtesy to our listeners at home, I will not pronounce all the capital letters. Okay. We should just imagine. I cannot thank everyone enough for helping me make my family's 15th annual At Hollywood Sports toy giveaway such a success. Over 500 families being gifted and fed and given food for meals. (laughs) Food for meals. All right. 15th annual.
1: Yeah, see, so... That's, that's been going on a while. You know where we're going with this. Where are we going? This is either Randy Couture or the other Randy Couture, okay. Rich Franklin.
2: Well, I just guessed Rich Franklin, so I'm going to say the Randy Couture. And I'm going to go Rich Franklin.
0: Both fine guesses, both been in the game for a long time, and both wrong, and it's Tito Ortiz. God
2: damn it. We should have
1: figured that one out. What a
2: son of a bitch Sir Nigel is. He's going to hit you with a Chuck
1: Liddell, and then turn around and hit you with a Tito Ortiz right after You and I should have ferreted that out. Who else is going to say food for meals?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Being fed and given food for
1: meals. That's a missed opportunity by Mm. us.
2: Yeah, I'm going to be laying awake at night thinking about this one.
1: Mm, Those two men recently in a battle of wits. (laughs) Tweet
0: the fifth. You can only put your dick in one bitch.
1: What? I got this one. You do? Yep. Okay, let's hear it. I want to know what's what's happening here. You're just going to concede this one? Well, this is because you have a Google alert for two of those words, right?
2: (laughs) This is just because... People on the MMA internet are not going to let me and, I assume, Sir Nigel
0: miss this one. This one came flowing in <laughs> shortly after it was tweeted. You
1: want to take well, a I'm shot I'm not at just going to guess over here in the dark, be the only... No,
0: I mean, I would be curious to, Jessica gonna like
1: I. Case. I'm going to guess Jessica I. Defiant. <laughs> Mike Perry.
0: It is! It is Platinum Mike Perry! In flagrantly <laughs> contravening what we all know... What even he knows, I I presume. Just do it one more time for us. You can only put your
1: dick in one bitch. Sounds dignified when Sir Nigel says it. Indeed, sir. A lot of the uh, sex education curriculum that I received as a youngster here in Montana (laughs) fell fell along the same line. Yeah? Yeah. Just
2: probably not as succinct as this, or as powerful.
1: Yeah, just abstinence, wait till marriage, Mm -hmm. then, then you're only putting your dick in one bitch after that. Hmm. Now, I hope somebody cuts that up as a sound bite. <laughs> you gotta love that bitch, though. <laughs> well, I guess that about does it. Uh,
2: so, Nigel, what else you got going on?
0: You know, it's funny you should ask, sir. I've just finished work on an, ac- uh, on an exciting project about an undercover FBI agent who falls in love with the widow of a mob boss only to get his own semen in her hair. I see him. What's it called? It's called There's Something About Married to the Mob. And what role do you play? I play a bystander who cannot believe this lady has semen in her hair. Yeah,
2: no, that's the role you were born to play. Well, that was Master Tree Theater, and that was Sir Nigel Longstock. Thank you, sir.
1: Well, Ben Jonathan Dwight Jones had to make an appearance in front of the California State Athletic Commission here a week or so ago, wherein the CSAC uh, did what it does. It managed to be respectable and perhaps the most above board commission in our United States and seemed like it knew what it was doing. And at the same time, maybe a little overly officious in trying to get John Jones through some hoops before he fights. Alexander Gustafson at UFC 232, December 29th. I believe that one's going down. Is that one in Anaheim? Is that what we're doing?
2: No, that one is at the T-Mobile.
1: Okay, T-Mobile Arena over there in Paradise, Nevada. Cancelled that Anaheim one. That's right. (laughs) That's why that was stuck in my brain. Yeah. Uh, John Jones, we have not seen him fight since the middle of 2017. Of course, he had a a previous uh, fight with Alexander Gustafson, arguably John Jones' most competitive fight of his career. We're doing this thing all over again uh, to put the title on somebody. Where are you at on this? Like, I keep feeling like at some point, John Jones is going to show up as a different dude just because we, he so rarely gets the opportunity to compete and, and train and, and get ready to do this thing. You feel like a worse dude is what you're saying. Yeah. Like okay. at some point, John Jones is going to show up and we're going to be like, oh, maybe this, maybe John Jones has experienced some manner of athletic decline during the the time that he has spent away. And yet, I have no reason to believe that that happens in this fight. Uh, do you see a more competitive, a less competitive, or like the same fight all over again with Lusty Gusty here at 232?
2: I see a less competitive version of the first one, but I still don't exactly see John Jones just completely blowing right through Alexander Gustav. Because I think that that's kind of the the storyline some people are buying into is just that he didn't really train hard for the first one, and that's why it was close. Therefore, right. he's going to train super hard for this one and really going to want to put a stamp on it, and then it's just going to be an absolute demolition. Yeah. I still think Alexander Gufferson is a tough dude. His size, his range, and his overall ability still make him a challenge for a guy like John Jones. I think John Jones wins this one more clearly than he won the first one but I don't think he just demolishes Gustafson.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely fall in with the line of thinking that I think John Jones is going to have uh, a statement to make here for a lot of different reasons. But I also agree with you that Alexander Gustafson is, is like a physically difficult matchup for John Jones. Not only, you know, is he about the same size as Jones just physically? Uh, we saw in their first fight that his, his skill set can create some, some problems for John Jones. Uh, I still think John Jones shows up and, and wins this in a more impressive fashion than, than in their first fight.
2: Do you think he can finish it?
1: Yes, I say without a t- tremendous amount of confidence. Uh, I think he can. I don't know if he will. Uh I feel like whatever happens in retrospect, we're going to be like, oh, yeah, of course. This was obvious from the get-go. Like, if John Jones is the best, and he pounded a hole, in Alexander Gusterson and he won. Or we'll be saying, like, oh, it was a tough matchup for John Jones after such a long time off. So he ekes out a, a decision win. Are we all holding our breath, though? Just to, like, not only see what happens in this fight, but to see if John Jones can keep it together to, like, have a cohesive UFC career from here on out.
2: Well, that will be holding our breath on. I think we'll feel like for a long time, because the only way to really satisfy that is to just not fuck up for a really long time. Like there's nothing, it's not like you can go out and do one thing and then we'll all be like, okay, good job. We're, we're back to normal now because even if you go out there and you and say you do absolutely demolish Alexander Gustafson, then the thing that's going to happen is everybody's going to be like, all right, John Jones is back, yeah. best fighter in the sport, best light heavyweight, definitely. Uh, one of the best to ever do it. But then we'll all still be sitting around going, and when is the other shoe going to drop? When are you going to T-bone the school bus full of children? And when What is going to happen the way it usually does, like in the rhythm to this thing where something else Outside of what happens in between the air horns uh, derails your quest for ultimate MMA greatness. Yeah. So that would it would take years. It would take years of no fuck-ups at all. Not even minor fuck-ups before people would be willing to kind of change their opinions and be like, right. okay, we're done with that. And maybe that will never happen. Yeah.
1: I don't, I was just gonna say, like, I don't even know what our expectations are now for, like, a John Jones career. At one point, I think it was largely assumed that he would go down as the greatest MMA fighter of all time. Maybe he already is the greatest MMA fighter of all time, just with his current list of accomplishments. Uh, but at this point, you know, he's been out so long, his appearances have been so sporadic, and there's been so much goddamn personal trouble along the way. That I don't even know like what my expectations are for this fight. I don't know what my uh, uh like what I want to see from John Jones all the way around moving forward. I don't know like if I should be ready to embrace him as like the standard bearer at 205 pounds again. I don't even know how back I can feel like he is if he wins this fight. I'll just be sort of like, Yes, John Jones is a very good MMA fighter. And so long as he is available for competition, he will be good. But Don't you like, feel
2: like if he wins this, that we'll be able to be like, okay, we are confident that the light heavyweight title is around the waist of the best light heavyweight in the world.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I do. And again, like to what end, I guess would be my, my question. Like I want really want to see John Jones stick around and, and compete a lot and, you know, be the guy that we thought he was for so many years. But like, Maybe I'm just having, like, I feel like I've been once bitten. (laughs) And so now I'm just sort of like, I guess we just take this as it comes, man. Like, I don't even know. I don't even know how to feel, really, about any of this. Do you think John Jones doped at any point? Yeah, I do. I mean, that's just my opinion. I think that, uh, well, let's just say this. I'll say probably, yeah. I just feel like there's enough stuff swirling around with low T E ratios and various failed tests that, uh, that were blamed on, well, the first one blamed on a tainted supplement. This one, we haven't been able to uh, pinpoint the source of the banned substance that was in his body. I feel like it'd be awfully hard for me to believe at this point that John Jones just got burned twice by some, like a, a janky supplement.
2: Okay. I mean, I guess the thing that made it easier for me to believe the first one was that they were able to say, all right, here's this knockoff sex pill. Here's where he got it from. They went and got it, found the same stuff in their copy of it, like the same procedure they usually do for contaminated supplements. This one, I mean, it does, it never helps you if you can't say Where it came from. If you're arguing accidental contamination, but you can't say where the contamination came from. Then again, when Andy Foster is talking about John Jones and this thing where he said, if John Jones is a doper, he's the worst doper in the world to get caught
1: this way at, at this time. Stuff like that. I mean, that's a lofty statement because we've seen some motherfuckers get caught before. See, well, one of the things I was thinking is
2: whoever the worst doper in the world is, he's definitely in MMA you know yeah. like just given our history in that sport like whoever the worst doper is we got him yeah we we prove cycling doesn't have the worst doper in the world mma has the worst doper yeah. in the
1: world well, we have guys turning in urine substitutes that's right right like using fake penises to uh to produce
2: fake urine yeah so everybody else watch how it's done badly <laughs> uh, mma will show you i don't know maybe it's just that i don't want to i like it's easier for me to believe that John Jones is so reckless that at times that recklessness looks like cheating. And maybe I just don't want to even like maybe I think it's simpler to think of it as like well John Jones is a great brilliant fighter who fucks up a lot and gets in his own way a lot but does not actively knowingly cheat. Yeah. Because if you do think he actively knowingly cheats then your concept of who the greatest light heavyweight is, it gets a lot murkier. Because one thing I feel like I can definitely say about Daniel Cormier, like, if you ask me, like, name some people who you definitely think have never doped in MMA, Daniel Cormier is on that list for yeah, me. Yeah,
1: I agree. And I think it is hard to, like, psychologically reconcile with the idea that the guy who might be the greatest MMA fighter of all time may also, uh, like, have been taking performance-enhancing drugs. But at this point, I feel like we've seen such a wide array of of bad judgment and bad uh behavior from john jones that like if you asked me seriously like if this guy had the opportunity to take peds do you think he would i think i'll be like yes absolutely he would like look at all of the other things he's done it's hard for me to believe that uh he would maybe it's just recklessness as you said but it's hard for me to believe that like he would live the rest of his life this way but then be like but i will not cheat when it comes to mixed martial arts this is a sacred thing for me and i'm simply above it Okay,
2: that's a fair point.
1: But I also feel like
2: there, there are different species of screw-ups. Like, you know, a guy like Chael Sonnen, like, I don't think you're going to catch Chael Sonnen with a whole bunch of coke at any, any point. Like, but if he, is he going to do whatever he thinks is necessary to get an advantage in a competition? Yes. Whether yeah. it's in the UFC or the Bellator or whether it's on The Apprentice. Like clearly, yeah. Chael Sonnen is a guy who wants to win so badly he does not mind cheating to do it. Yeah. Uh, John Jones, I think, is somebody who kind of thinks that the winning part is guaranteed. Like he he believes so much in his own skills. Yeah. I think that he is more likely to do the kind of drugs that hurt his chances of winning than he is to uh, take the risk of doing the drugs he thinks will help him win. I think yeah. he think he think he just assumes he's going to win.
1: Well, yeah, that's a super valid point, and uh, and like. Uh, really gripping psychological profile of an individual. Like, I, I, I'm i not going to argue with that. I think that that's right. I think the thing that we can say for sure is that neither of us can know and that it's going to take a really long time before the MMA world is at large as comfortable with being confident in John Jones. Almost right. about anything, yeah. aside from the fact that he's a really good fighter, which we've known for years. Right.
2: So. I mean, just being confident that he'll show up when he's supposed to, is that's already a stretch. And honestly... I think that he's one of those figures where he's polarizing enough that the people who don't want to give John Jones any credit, I think he he's kind of onto something when he said that like people who want to keep throwing that at him, they don't want to admit that he's he's good, that he's just a good fighter. And I think that that's definitely true. There's going to be a lot of people who hate John Jones his entire career, and nothing he can do is going to change that. And he's earned a lot of that, yeah, in various ways. But Uh, I think a lot of how people decide to come down on it is going to depend on how they already feel about him as a person.
1: I agree. I agree. All right, let's do just saying stuff, Ben, and then we'll get out of here for this week. Uh, Ben, what is your just saying stuff?
2: Well, Chad, I don't know if you saw that your man, Scotty Cokes, when he was over there in Hawaii was asked about, uh, the whole thing of the UFC and Bellator. were going to go head to head. Uh,
1: I hope these people weren't bothering Scott Coke with work while he was trying to have his vacation.
2: <laughs> He's sitting there sipping a Michelob Ultra up your like, Scott, can I ask you one question? He just like looks up, is it about work? <laughs> <laughs> but they're asking him about the, you know, you and the UFC were going to go head to head in the Southern California area. Now you got it all to yourself. The UFC had to cancel that Anaheim event after it shuffled reshuffled the main event over to ESPN Plus in Brooklyn. You know What do you think happened there? And Scott Coker's quote was that the UFC just ran out of bullets, that yeah. basically it was a roster issue uh, and that, you know, you, you didn't have the people you needed. You didn't have a, a deep enough roster where you could reach down and put somebody on that card. And the UFC also knew you're going up on, on pay-per-view against Bellator, which is bringing a pretty good card that fans are going to be excited to watch. That's going to be on Paramount and DAZN. And so you got to have something really good in order to convince people to pay to watch your product when they don't have to pay to watch the other one. I'm just saying, that's the closest to promotion versus promotion shit talk Scott Coker's probably ever gonna get. Yeah, and he's a hundred percent right. He probably, I'm just saying
1: he probably regrets it. He, he probably had felt had, bad. He'd had a couple of pina coladas. <laughs>
2: His words, his mouth got away from him. You think he probably prepared like an apology note he was going to send to Dana White, and then the Bellator people were like, you you don't have to do that, actually.
1: Uh, Ben, did you see this? That the final installment of UFC on Fox scored the best overnight ratings for the series in two years. What, really? Yes. So I'm just saying that somehow fits, that somehow just seems appropriate. That blows my mind. Best overnight ratings in two years for UFC on Fox. We're done. That's the last one. <laughs> going out on a high note. We're out of here. Just saying. Well, Ben, we're going to have to figure out what we're going to do over the next week or two for the co-main event podcast. I assume we will roll out a Patreon power hour as scheduled on Friday. We will. And then uh, Monday will be Christmas Eve. So I don't know if we can. We might be able to record a podcast that day. Uh, then you got Christmas. Kwanzaa is Wednesday. Our kids are going to be out of school all well, next week. Shit. The following Monday, of course, is New Year's Eve, uh, December 31st. We're going to gonna we'll crank out a couple few podcasts here in the next couple weeks. We maybe just can't we, necessarily say exactly when they're going to be right now.
2: Maybe we get together and watch some rising. Maybe we do. Maybe that's something we can do. Have a couple few soda pops. Who knows?
1: All right. As for right now, though, we are done. We are through. We are out.
2: You know what? But I'll be throwing my soda pop in, a CME So every time you say something questionable, I look at you. It's, it's the kind of joke I would never get